So once again, welcome tonight. And tonight I'll be offering reflections really this on the second part of the series that I, I started last week, which was uh, discovering a deeper place to reside. And it was in conjunction of what we're doing. We're here at Beacon Unitarian Universalist Church, Church really exploring a different place to physically reside for our community. And as we do that, I thought it would be great to offer some reflections on places we could uh, also a different place to reside internally. And that different place internally that I want to share with you reflections on tonight is contentment. Because I found it so important to have this practice of where can I find intent contentment? And when I say that, I want to point out that this path is bigger than just mindfulness meditation, which is key to what we're doing here. Of course, we're all gonna sit together in silence uh, after I share some reflection. So it is a, a cornerstone, but there's all these other elements of this practice that I am invited to nourish and cultivate and develop. And one of those is contentment. So what's a maybe a beginning definition that we can have of contentment. I think one way of understanding it is it's, it's this ability to simply be all right and satiated, satisfied with what's right here in this moment right now. And when I was reflecting on this, there were a couple examples of this that came to my mind of striking examples of contentment that I feel inspired me. One was, this was um, how long ago? I guess like 30 years ago, I was in India and in Kolkata and I was volunteering at Mother Teresa's home for the death and dying. And it was a deeply moving experience. And one of the things that made it so moving was the uh, kind of the spirit of some of the nuns I, I was able to connect with. It was a hard life, you know, got up early, prayed, came over to the home for the death and dying, worked there. It was not the best of conditions in terms of uh, what, what could be offered. And then at night they would be back to, to prayers. And I think one day I went uh, to, they had a, um, a facility for people who, um, for other folks that had been on the streets. And I was talking to them and I was so touched by their contentment with their life. It was moving. They were doing something so meaningful for them. And it showed that they had a, an okayness with this moment. And it was something that filled them. It wasn't the okayness of disconnection. It was the okayness of fulfillment. So it was, and I'm grateful for that. Even though they weren't very happy that I was not really a Catholic anymore, it was still <laughs> very moving. And the Buddha talks about contentment and one of the places he speaks about contentment is especially to monastics, but I think it applies to lay practitioners uh, as well, like us. And, and he says this, how is a monastic content? Just as a bird, wherever it goes, flies with, it, with its wings as its only burden, 
So too, a monastic is content with a set of robes to provide for their body and food, alms food, to provide for their hunger. And what I appreciate about this is to me, the image of a bird, it, it, all, it ha all a bird has is its wings and its content. And a monastic, it has the requisites that a monastic needs to take care of themselves and to be, be okay with that. And yeah, I, I wanna acknowledge our lives are so much more complex than that. And yet I, I find I can learn something from that. How can I be content with this moment and the next moment? Where can I find contentment in my life? Where are those moments of that for you? Also, I, I, I feel like I repeat this again and again and again, and I think it's important to repeat that any teaching that the Buddha gives, it's important not to universalize it. And I appreciate it because so often I can find another place where he says, don't be content. <laughs> There's a place for that, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it for in our lives? It's sometimes what motivates us. I'm not content with my life and therefore I wanna be on a spiritual path. And I just wanna state the obvious around this. Of, of course, the Buddha is not encouraging us to be content with the injustices happening in the world. The violence, the war, the systemic racism, the income inequality the climate catastrophe. And sometimes what I've noticed when I'm, uh, when I find myself uh, not having contentment, maybe with a work situation or a relationship or other matters, I actually have to slow down and listen to that because often it informs what I need to do. So sometimes there's wisdom in that. So I wanna acknowledge the complexity here is, is yeah, can I abide in contentment, but also have the skill of listening. Can I listen to where I'm not content? Cause it might have really important information. For example, I was, I had this friendship with another Dharma practitioner and I tried and tried and tried in that friendship. It was a difficult friendship. And I think I had this sense of, I should be content with this friendship. I'm a practitioner, shouldn't I be content with this friendship? I mean, that's what practitioners are. They're content with any kind of relationship. Obviously you can hear where this is going. But then I, uh, when I, I really slowed down and listened to my heart with that discontent, I realized this friendship is not supporting contentment in my life. And I need to skillfully let it go. And it wasn't just out of blind reactivity of like, oh, I, I just have a problem. And, but it was something deeper and it was such the right decision. So please keep that in mind too, is, is in, in for you, you might notice places where you're not content and you have to listen to that. And what is it saying to you? Because it might have a sensitivity where your deeper contentment lies. If we hear the wisdom in it, not just the, the unskillfulness, the unskillful discontent, but the skillful discontent. And this teaching on contentment is primarily aimed at our mind's unskillful habits. 
and maybe your mind is like mine, right? It can habitually orient so easily and discover what's not right. It's like, it, even in the best of situations, sometimes it feels like my mind's gonna figure out what's wrong. And it feels habitual. It's like, regardless of the circumstances, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with that person? What's wrong with the situation? Or it can be also the feeling of not enough. Oh, I feel like I'm not enough. Or it's like, oh, the situation's kind of good, but it's really not enough. And it feels like it's just a habit. It just comes on whatever's going on. Can you relate to this? Have you noticed that the, the mind has habitual ways of just kind of just speaking to what's there and not really taking in what's there? And I think sometimes it can be this, this droning constant feeling of, disappointment or discontent or dissatisfaction or just the deep kind of underlying feeling that can be subtle or not so subtle of I'm really not enough. There needs to be, I need to, to improve in some way, but it's obsessive rather than aspirational. And I think this, these habits of the mind and the heart is what this teaching on contentment and that practice can really address, at least this is what I found. So the question is, is how to discover contentment and where do you discover it? Maybe I'll begin with that. Where, where can we discover contentment? Because you've probably noticed like I have in dominant culture, the narratives of where I should find contentment, where I should find happiness really don't pan out. And yet I find myself surrounded by it. The pursuit of excessive wealth. It seems like this is, maybe this is what comes with capitalism is that's what's sometimes valued. And when they've done studies, especially with the super wealthy, they're not that happy. You know, there's, there was this um, interview with, Elon Musk and the interviewer, it was strange. The interviewer seemed enamored with him and his mind. It was just kind of going on and on about what an amazing mind Elon Musk has. And Elon Musk said, yeah, it's not so great. And the interviewer asked, well, what's the hardest part? And Elon Musk said, it might, it might sound great if it's turned on, but what if it doesn't turn off? And when I heard that, I realized he's caged, isn't he? He might have so much money, but it, to me, it was a, a mark of somebody that really wasn't very happy with their own minds and struggled with it in a way. It didn't lead, it doesn't seem like it's leading to much contentment. That's with any kind of excess, excessive power, excessive fame, the, the, the promise of contentment and happiness that's supposed to come with consumerism. And it doesn't, does it? That acquisition. And I think this uh, points out that merely wanting more and more and more is not going to lead to contentment. 
And you've probably noticed this. I don't know if you've kind of sat down. I think it's interesting to notice the flavor of, of the temporary satisfaction that arises out of the pursuits of, you could say, these excessive um, uh, projects. You could say the, the pursuits that really arise out of grasping, out of greed, or out of unquenchable craving. And that satisfaction arises, you could say really what's going on if you examine it is it's because of temporarily taking away the feeling sense of craving. It's like, I want something and then I get it. And really the joy of it is I'm not feeling the craving anymore. But what it's doing is it's reinforcing the craving. I think that I can now get another object and it's gonna quench that. But in many ways, it's not about the object. It's about the dynamic of the heart and mind. And what I'm describing, some of you maybe know this, is this is the dynamic of addiction. This is how addiction works, doesn't it? It's the hook. And I want to be clear, you know, when I, when I say uh, not to be wanting more and more and more, I still think there's a place, an important place on this path for skillful passion. It's important to be passionate about things, to, be, to be, have aspiration. Many ways, that's a different talk, but just to imagine what I like to, to start with is for the Buddha to leave such a palace and such a life, to go into the kinds of practices he were doing, these austere practices, you gotta be passionate to make that radical change in your life. But passion is different than what I'm talking about in terms of this greed. Contentment is different, isn't it? As I said, it's landing in our lives moments and periods of right now, this is enough. And can you taste that just for a moment? If you slow down, this is enough. And sometimes we can get a feeling of that. It's exemplified in this poem by David White. I think the title might be enough. He says, enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to life we have refused again and again until now. Until now. There is enough, isn't it? And sometimes when I slow down with it, it fills me in a different way than all those things I mentioned before. And it feels good. I like it. And this is the feeling good that the Buddha really wanted to encourage. As I've mentioned before, so much of this is uh, learning how to orient to the pleasurable aspects of life that are onward leading rather than a dead end. And I find contentment is one of those pleasures. It has depth to it. I also want to point out that, at least for me, contentment is not about having an easy life. I think you can have an easy life in contentment. I don't want to knock if you have an easy life. I think that's great. I hope it's, there's a lot of contentment there. 
but I think for me, what I've noticed is it's rather the, the, the negative is, is it's about having a fulfilling life that's intertwined with these experiences of enoughness. And that's different than necessarily an easy life. They can be intertwined for sure, but the, the, the easy life doesn't mean a fulfilling life necessarily. You know, there was another image that I want to share with you that that had that feeling of contentment around not an easy life. Um, and there was something archetypal about it because of the uneasiness of it, for me at least. And that's many, many years ago, I worked on a farm. It was a biodynamic farm, an organic farm. And one of the farmers, he had some fields. He took care of the, we had some cows and uh the hay fields as well. He was farming, he was taking care of cows, which means he worked seven days a week. And often, you know, sometimes I'd be up early in the morning milking, but if I wasn't, he was. And if there was nobody else milking, then he'd have to milk in the morning and the evening every day. And I still remember this one image of, of him. We were baling hay. The, the machinery at this farm, it was always breaking down. So it'd be like, we'd go out to bale hay in a field and it would take hours because the baler kept on breaking. So he'd get off the, the you know, the, the tractor and fix it. It would sometimes take half hour, 45 minutes, get going again, break. Yet he was so content with his life. It was so fulfilling for him to be growing food for people. It was, and I could see that. And at that point in my life, I, I first didn't get it. As I was young and I was thinking that, you know, life is all about just having new wild experiences. But there can be a flatness to that. And yet he was doing the same thing every day, but there was so much contentment in the difficult life that comes with farming. It was really uh, so touching. And I could, and I remember him as a way of remembering contentment. And I think this has been helpful for me to remember that even if I have days where I'm having a hard time, there still might be moments where I can find contentment. Where is that? It could be just a small moment. And one place I, uh, you know, explore this around is the quality of busyness. For me, it's interesting that whole realm of busyness because it often doesn't have to do with how much I need to get done it has to do with how I'm relating to what I need to get done because there's times in my life where my life is extremely full it's good life is good and then there's times where I feel like I'm so busy and I feel like I'm so busy often because I'm so worried that I need to get things done and so it's how my mind is relating to it. And of course, I want to also be skillful here. I'm not saying that you should be working 90-hour work weeks and it'll be okay. Of course, yes, you need to take care of yourself. But, but you might want to become curious about when busyness comes up. It, it might be a discontent that is informing you of something of your life that you really need to pay attention to. Or it just might be you need to get up early and milk the cows, and that's just the way it is. It's really okay. And what I'm pointing to is that contentment really lies in how 
this mind is relating to experience. I think this is this is the, the kernel that the Buddha is always pointing to is how is my mind relating to this experience? So in terms of pleasant experiences, kind of the fullness that comes from a sunset or seeing a full moon on a summer night or in a flower. The contentment is not in the sunset. Sunsets don't, don't give me contentment. This is really important to understand this. It's not the sunset. It's how my mind is relating to the sunset that gives the fullness of the contentment. It's very easy for me to see a sunset briefly and not feel content. It doesn't lie in there. And yet I can briefly see the moon on a summer night. And if my heart is there and open and sensitive, it's filled by that. So much of what the Buddha is, is pointing to is that every moment it's co-created with this heart and mind. It's not just what's out there. It's in part what's out there. He's not denying that there's an external world out there. But it's also co-created about where's this heart and mind in this moment? How is it beholding the sunset or the moon or the flower? And there I actually have a little bit of agency. I have agency throughout my day every so often to find contentment. I don't have complete control, right? It's, you know, the mind and the heart can roll on. But I think that's the power is to, to, to realize that the, this is where I can shape in some way. And we, we spoke about this for those of you who are on the weekend retreat. The, some of you gave such beautiful descriptions of this, of kind of this refined art of really savoring, learning to savor experience, to linger with it in a way that it, fills the heart with contentment. Because that's when, when my heart is filled with contentment, it's like when I have the, the word that's often used in, in Zen is uh, an intimacy with experience. I'm close to it. I'm intimate with experience and it moves my heart. And I'm not wishing for the next thing or longing for more. I'm just there. And that longing can be really quite subtle. And sometimes it just requires the seeing of it. There's a, a great haiku by the haiku poet uh, Basho called uh, In Kyoto, just three lines. So great. He says, in Kyoto, hearing the cuckoo, I long for Kyoto. Right, so here he is, he's in Kyoto and then he hears the the, the cuckoo is like, oh, I, I really want to be more in Kyoto, like even though he's in Kyoto. <laughs> Have you ever noticed this? I know it's noticed this like it's 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 like I see the sunset and it's like, oh yeah, I really want to see the sunset. Like I really want to be here for the sunset. It captures something so clearly in that. And sometimes when I just see that, oh, then I can rest back into hearing the cuckoo, seeing the sunset. And in terms of unpleasant experiences, I, I, I think I've touched upon this, like with the, with the farmer I was uh, sharing about her, Mother Teresa's nuns, how uh, there was fulfillment even in the midst of difficulty. I think that's with why those, both of those examples uh, stay in my heart is because it's so moving, the context within which they found it. I mean, for some of you, I need to be careful here. Some of you might really appreciate farming. I, I went there with this idea that I'd find a lot of contentment in farming. 
I didn't. It was tough. <laughs> 12 hour days in the summer, seven days a week. We got one day off, six days a week. It was tough. But I still feel inspired. It's and it's because their lives exemplified, oh, my life is enough. And then lastly, I think around contentment, it's becoming curious about how you're orienting to your life. And I want to share a poem, just an ending of a way that sometimes we orient and there's a, a switch in the poem. And it's a poem by uh, Lisa Lowitz called Waiting. She says, you keep waiting for something to happen. The thing that lifts you out of yourself, catapults you into doing all the things you've put off, the great things you're meant to do in your life, but somehow never quite get to. You keep waiting for the planets to shift, the new moon to bring news, the universe to align, something to give. Meanwhile, the pile of papers, the laundry, the dishes, the job, it all stacks up while you keep hoping for some miracle to blast down upon you, scattering the piles to the winds. Sometimes you lie in bed terrified of your life. Sometimes you laugh at the privilege of waking, but all the while life goes on in its messy way. And then you turn 40 or 50 or 60, and some part of you realizes you are not alone and you find signs of this in the animal kingdom. When a snake sheds its skin, its eyes glaze over, it slinks under a rock, not wanting to be touched. And when a caterpillar turns to butterfly, if the pupa is brushed, it will die. And when the bird taps its beak hungrily against the egg, it's because the thing is too small, too small, and it needs to break out. And midlife walks you into that wisdom, that this is what transformation looks like, looks like the mess of it, the tapping at the walls of your life, the yearning and writhing and pushing until one day, one day you emerge from the wreck, embracing both the immense dawn and the dusk of the body, glistening, beautiful, just as you are. I think that's an important question. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for something to happen? Or is it more about what she's describing, being in the mess of it, the writhing, the yearning, the pushing? And really in the midst of that, seeing the beautiful, the beauty of just as you are in this moment. So thank you, thank you for your attention. What we'll do now is let's take uh, two minutes. So for those of you online, we'll take two minutes or here in person just to move the body a little bit and then we'll come back and meditate together. Okay, so maybe we can begin here. So if you can hear my voice and you're online, you might wanna come back to your device there. 
And what I invite you to do is to yeah, begin to find a posture that feels supportive for meditation here. And allowing the attention to come inward. And simply feeling the body in whatever posture it's in, whatever position it's in. And then allowing for a quality of relaxation in the body. Maybe the shoulders to drop, the hands to relax. the jaw to loosen. And right now in this moment, And you get a sense that this moment, it's enough. And you might want to just use that phrase internally. Ah, this is enough. And to rest there, even briefly. Nothing to achieve or get. No place to go. Just right here. And to maybe be filled by that quality of enough. And when your mind gets lost in thought, 
or pulled into a sensation or a sound, or it might have the feeling, no, this moment is not enough. I'm clear about that. Whatever it is, simply to notice that, to be okay with what else is arising that pulls the attention, the heart out of this is enough. To soften around that. And if this phrase, this is enough, resonates for you, you could just return there. Oh, this is enough. This too right now is enough. Just this. And you can continue to frame your meditation in this way, to rest in, this is enough right now. Or to rest in just this, to abide there. And if maybe feeling the breath within that is helpful to do that. And then when the mind gets pulled away from that to notice what's going on, thinking, sleepiness, and then eventually returning to, oh, this, this is enough, just this. Continuing in this way.
And it is so okay if the mind isn't lingering with this feeling of this is enough or just this. That's okay too. Or the mind is thinking a lot or is not liking or liking or sleepy or agitated. It's just like that. And that's okay too. Becoming intimate with this moment of experience, opening to sounds and sensations as they roll through, even as thoughts parade through. Body might feel hot or cool. The mind might be alert or sleepy. opening to however it is. And maybe within there, there's a feeling of this is enough.
And if the mind's lost in thought again, that's okay. Just returning to this moment. Now this moment's enough. Just this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.